1: Hello and welcome to another new episode of New Books in Islamic Studies, which is part of the New Books Network. My name is Shobana Xavier and I'm one of your co-hosts of this podcast channel. Thank you so much for joining us today and I hope you're well wherever you are. In this grand... Breaking Work, Dr. Michael Sells, the Barrows Professor Emeritus of History and Literature of Islam and Professor Emeritus of Comparative Literature at the University of Chicago, translates 61 poems that form the Tarjuman al-Ashwak, or Translator of Desires, by Mudeen Ibn al-Arabi. The book is published with Princeton University Press in 2021. The poems are presented here both in Arabic and English, and are accompanied by an introduction and commentaries in the appendix. The masterful and accessible translations are truly a thrilling literary experience. Ibn Arabi's poems evoke numerous themes, such as the flora and fauna, nature, sacred spaces, especially of the Kaaba, love, longing, and grief. For instance, the longing of a lost beloved, which Sufis would have read as the divine, is centered and also gendered as feminine. The collection of poems, along with Sel's important introduction and notes, provide stunning insights both to the tradition of Arabic love poetry, but also of mystical thought and the poetic power of Muhyiddin ibn al-Arabi. This collection of poems will be of interest to anyone interested in Arabic poetry, Islamic literature, Sufism, and much more, and perhaps just the right gift for those friends or family members of yours who enjoy poetry. In our conversation today, Dr. Michael Sell shared with us his translation processes, what some of his challenges and the joys. He also helped situate for us the life and legacy of Ibn al-Arabi and his poetry, Along with the controversy that surrounded the translator of desires and um, its legacy, Dr. Sells also guided us through some of the poetry. truly a moment of uh, to experience the masterclass of studying with Dr. Sells. It And he introduces us to the themes of some of the poems, such as nature, sacred space, love and longing, um, as well as the sources and authors that Ibn al-Arabi is also gleaning from, or the active intertextuality that Ibn al-Arabi is participating in. So if you have access to the book, um, you could follow along as we read the poems and discuss them. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Michael Sells of his Translations of Ibn al-Arabi's Translator of Desires. Hi, Dr. Michael Sells. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing?
0: Um, I'm doing very well. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, I'm very excited to have you here to to speak to you about your new translation of Muhyiddin ibn arabis poems, The Translator of Desires, uh, on our podcast. We have a tradition in our podcast to start our conversation with something a little bit more autobiographical in nature. So I, you are a prolific scholar. You have trained generations of scholars and inspired many. So how did you get to be the scholar you are and what inspired you to become a scholar of Islamic studies?
0: Uh, I think the formative experience of being in the Peace Corps in Tunisia from 1972 to 1975 grounded my interest in... In Arabic and Islamic culture and civilization and it led me after three years to apply to graduate school in comparative literature and at the University of Chicago I came in contact with uh, the writings of Ibn al-Arabi. I studied uh, Quran with uh, Professor Fazlur Rahman and I studied Ibn al Atabi with Professor Rahman. Although he's not known as a Sufi scholar, he deeply appreciated the works of Ibn al-Arabi. And I studied uh, classical Arabic poetry there, particularly pre-Islamic poetry. And that that, uh, nexus of interests gradually formed uh, my interest in among other things, Tarjumana Lashwak, which I translate in my new book as the translator of desires. So that would be the core beginning of an interest that that cont- of several interests that continued throughout my life.
1: Mm. Um- this is a fantastic and amazing translation, and I'm sure many people are very interested to be able to sit with these uh, these poems. Um, I wonder if we could, if you could say a little bit about what the translation process was like for you. Um, where did you get the sources? Um, I imagine there were probably challenges, but I'm sure there were also some very um, exciting or joyful moments. Of process of translating. So, can you share a little bit of that with us?
0: Certainly. Uh, early on. as as early as 1995, I began translating certain poems from the Tarjaman and each translation um, went through of course, multiple drafts. And in the process, once the translation was finished and published multiple readings in front of audiences and all those audiences contributed is a development of a style that I hope would bring across the vitality, and urgency, and visionary quality of these poems. I should notice, I should note that the poems are not, um, at first sight, Sufi poems. In fact, I don't think that if we didn't know the author, we would necessarily categorize them as Sufi poems. Rather, I came to believe that they were generative of Ibn al Arbi's later Sufi thought. He composed these poems of shalk or longing, and it's that deep sense of longing, longing as an an infinite force, uh, an infinite force that is seen in his notion that there's two kinds of longing, longing for that which is past or distant, and longing for that which is present or near. And um, longing is something that becomes a primal force in his poetry and in his mystical philosophy, as shown later in in his later works in his writings on love and his writings on longing as um, a cosmic force, generative, in fact, of creation uh, of the universe and the return to God. Uh, Among among the several problems that are uh, endemic to translation from classical Arabic poetry, of course, is uh, the fact that English, contemporary English, does not easily rhyme, especially Mm rhyming at the end of each verse, which classical Arabic poetry does, nor do we have the strict set of meters, about 12 meters that Ibn Arabi used from the classical repertoire. And so how do you compensate for these key elements uh, that keep a pulse in the poem, that keep the poem alive? Um, And I tried to do that by recreating the effect of rhyme and and of uh, meter in another format, a format that would use shorter lines and use line breaks to uh, recall the play against of syntax against meter, uh, the tension and release, the dance of tension and release that forms uh, the heart of, of classical Arabic uh, rhymed and metrical poetry.
1: What did you enjoy most about translating these poems?
0: I would say, um, with each draft, with each new translation, um, understanding the poem a little better. That is, if the if you can't make a poem come alive in a certain way, to to go more deeply into its heart and to see what its um, what the deep heart of that poem is is doing, and um, and then to um, uh, put oneself in the place of how would we say that in contemporary English poetry?
1: That's, it's definitely felt, or I felt it as I was reading the poems and your translations of the poems and in, um, in the English version, at least. Um, I'm very fascinated by this idea that um, Ibn Arabi, you, you know, you raise this in the introduction or the preface to the book that he wasn't a Sufi poet. And I guess there's, people have many understandings of Ibn arabi He's perhaps a provocative or controversial figure, however you want to think of him. So perhaps for our listeners who may not know him too well, um, what would you want uh, folks to know about um, this figure um, before entering into this realm of poems? And then perhaps we could talk a little bit about how we contextualize the Tarjuman within the broader works and you know, you know, the philosophical works that Ibn al-Arabi um, has produced subsequently.
0: Sure. Ibn al-Arabi was, of course, um, one of the most influential and controversial figures in Islamic civilization. Um, uh, a poet, a mystic, uh, a muhadith, a collector of hadith, the author of a vast number of works on various topics, um, mm-hmm. whose influence is felt. Uh, has been felt around the world and continues today. Um, And uh, many controversies developed around him, uh, one of which we'll discuss as uh, part of the history of the Tarjamontal Ashwak itself. Uh, He was born uh, near Murcia, in present-day Spain, in Andalus, in uh, the year 1165 of the Common Era, and After he became a Sufi, he wandered throughout the uh, Arabic uh, West, Andalus, and the Maghreb, uh, present-day Morocco, Algeria, and Tunis, Tunisia, Um, constantly moving in search of knowledge and in search of visionary and mystical encounters. And beginning uh, his writings, uh, he wrote a number of works during these periods. It was his Hajj at the midpoint of his love of his life uh, in the year 1201, 1202, 598 of the Common Era, that became a transformative moment in the rest of his uh, life and a transformative transformative moment in um, mm-hmm. in leading up to the key works of his later period, the al Ashwak which is very much centered on the Hajj. The Futuhat al makia his famous um, uh, Summa, um, the vast work um, that begins with uh, his encounter, his visionary encounter at the Hajj, uh, uh, an encounter that he says becomes, in fact, the subject matter for the entire work. And uh, many of his other works, including his... um, love poems to the Ka'aba, which he composed after he had uh, noted in in the style of some Sufis that he had questioned why he was circumambulating um, uh, uh, stones um, which could not harm the human being or benefit the human being. Um, And the Ka'aba replied by assaulting him, according to this, uh, his preface to this work. And he composed um, 12 love poems to the Kaaba in um, uh, intricate uh, uh, rhymed prose. So um, that's a, a brief um, uh, overview of Ibn Latterby And by the time of his death in Damascus in 1240, six... Uh, Uh, Yeah, 1240 uh, CE. Uh, He had a a large circle of followers, and um, he was well on his way to becoming known as uh, Sheikh Al Akbar, the Sheikh Al Akbar, the Grand Master of Islamic mystical thought.
1: And there, there was controversy about this particular compilation of poetry, the Tarjuman, which you mentioned in the introduction. And I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that before we get into the poems itself, and namely, what was the controversy and why was there kind of this um, you know, court held and people uh, testifying to the, the works um, against him?
0: As mentioned, the, if one reads these poems, they read as classical Arabic love poetry. The poetry of the Masib, the first part of the Qasida, and of Ghazal more widely, um, with echoes of, of the Mwashahat, a strophic form. Although well, he doesn't empl- employ that form in the Tarjabon. He employs many of the images and the tone and mood from some of the Mwashahat. And they read, um, many of them are highly erotic, um, and many of them are playful. Some are solemn, some um, are, are ironic. Some are self-mocking. They they have every facet of the lover's mood that one can have. And um, in one of his prefaces, um, he discussed how the inspiration for these poems was a young woman named Nizam, who has been compared by scholars to uh, uh, Beatrice, um, who who was the inspiration for Dante's uh, Divide Comedy. And um, he states that um, all these poems, um, regardless of how many different beloveds there are in the poems, are really poems about uh, Nizam, but they're really also fundamentally poems about mystical encounters and spiritual ma'arif. Uh, spiritual knowings, uh, a kind of personal experiential knowledge of, uh, uh, in Sufi terms, of the divine. And uh, a sheikh in Aleppo uh, objected and said that he didn't read these poems um, as uh, spiritual allegories, and he was wondering whether Ibn Arbi, a famous man of religion, Um, just wanted to cover up the fact that he composed erotic uzzle poetry um, by uh, stating that they're really uh, allegories for the mystical path to God. Um, At that point, uh, his followers urged him to respond, so he composed in a very quick period of time, just several weeks, Um, a commentary on the poem um, uh, that linked the poems to mystical psychology and to the mystic path and to his his mystical cosmology. And there was this sort of literary inquisition held in Aleppo that was um, chaired by the famous Syrian jurist and historian Ibn Adim, during which Ibn Adim read parts of this commentary. Um, Now that commentary then had the effect of, um, it had several effects. Number one, it it has um, been attached to the poems in a way that has often led attention away from the poems to where um, the poems are basically ignored and the the mystical philosophy within the commentary is then projected back into the poems. Um, My view of this is somewhat different. My view is that uh, the poems themselves, um, this deep exploration of shalk, of longing and of love, love that in the poetry is not divided up according to divine or human, but is seen as a, as a primal and cosmic force, a central driving force within human aspiration. That um, that deep encounter with longing and love um, then was something that he reflected upon as he was uh, working on his mystical philosophy and uh, in terms of the uh, the commentary, it was uh, one of his first efforts. It seems to to map out his mystical thought, um, and the the the, the shauk is at the heart of that. And one finds this throughout uh, Sufi traditions that, and not not, not just Sufi traditions, that love poetry is generative of thought uh, more widely. Uh, There was a famous program in Persia, in Iran, uh, by Dr. Gumsha'i, in which he would read poetry of Rumi and Hafez, and then comment on philosophy, politics, society, um, and always go back and forth between, between reading the love poetry and engagement with the world. Um, and I find that Ibn al Arbi uh, uh, did that as well. In terms of uh, hi- uh, historical terms, one comparison that can be made was the Christian mystic John of the Cross, who a century and a half or two centuries after Ibn al Arbi composed a series of highly erotic love poetry. He was a, a Carmelite monk, and then wrote an extensive mystical commentary on on those poems uh, called The Dark Night of the Soul. So uh, those are some thoughts on the commentary. And uh, the commentary also had the effect, the banned in Boston effect. Everybody used to want to have their book banned in Boston um, because then it would gain... Uh, great notoriety and sell more copies. And um, Ibn Arby's uh, trial certainly brought much attention to the Tarja Monolish walk. Um, But as I mentioned, um, it also tended to obscure the poems themselves. And my effort has been an effort to retrieve um, the passion, uh, um, the visionary quality, uh, and... um, the poetic quality of those poems
1: that's so fascinating um, it's it's interesting that it, it's the way that there's like a PR effect right of what happened to the poems but um, I think what you have done in terms of centering the poems is such a such an amazing um, uh, gift I I, mean, I don't know what else how else to frame it um, but let's let's get into these poems um, and talk a little bit about some of the themes that you've alluded to already in terms of longing, in terms of love, um, erotic imagery. Um, One of the things I was really fascinated by as I was reading them is kind of, um, I think how how you describe kind of the flora and the fauna or the the geography or the the imagery of landscapes that he's evoking of nature. Um, I don't know if this was something that was on your mind as you were reading it, but um, this really stood out for me. Um, So, can you say a little bit about this? What is he drawing from in terms of nature? Perhaps, what is the significance of that within um, the context of sufism for him? Maybe
0: we'll we'll have a. I'll read a couple poems later that uh, illustrate this. Um, uh, Ibn Arabi's poems uh, are filled with place names. For example, and these place names are often uh, associated with stations of the lost beloved. So in the classical Arabic poetic tradition, um, uh, the poet at the beginning of the uh, poem comes across an abandoned camp um, or an abandoned dwelling. And uh, when at, at a certain moment recognizes that this is not just any abandoned camp or any dwelling, but it's the abandoned camp of his beloved. Um, either uh, usually the uh, camp of his beloved um, in her journey away from the poet the last time they were together. And this um, moment of realization where these traces in the sand and burned hearthstones, etc., emerge into focus as the sign of the lost beloved provoke the power of the poetic voice. And out of that encounter with these uh, ruins, the atlal, the poet's voice comes forth in a powerful way. And um, often there'll be many stations of the beloved. So there'll be the encounter with the atlal, and then the poet will recall the beloved's other stations that she passed in her journey away from him. And in many cases, the poet, of course, can, it was not there. He could not see her in these stations. So he's, he, in many cases, it's a projection of the poet still with the beloved. And in some of these poems uh, that we'll be reading, one can see that psychological tension drawn to um, a very tight, um, uh, almost a snap, where um, the poet is standing at at the ruins of an abandoned campsite. And yet part of him is still with the beloved, um, following her as she moves from camp to camp. What Ibn Lotterby then did with these stations was um, following uh, a tradition that we can mention that goes back about a couple hundred years, um, began associating the stations of the lost beloved with the stations of the traveler on the way to the Hajj. So um, in many of these poems, one will have classical stations of the lost beloved as well as, as the stations along the pilgrimage trail from Baghdad to uh, Mecca, such as Hadjur, one of the stations that appears throughout the Tarjumon. And, um, um let's talk about the floor and the fauna a little bit later. Um, but um, I thought maybe we could uh, take a look at a couple poems and um, and explore some of the issues there.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we can do the reference in case um, listeners have, have the text with them and they could follow along. Uh, yes.
0: So we'll start with a very short and, and a deceptively simple poem, Number one in the Tarjuman. Um, I will I will read it first in Arabic and then in English. Layt Ash'ri Hel Darao Ayyafel bid melaku wafuadi laudara ayyashib bidn salaku, aturahum salimu anturahum helaku. Beildered. I wish I knew if they knew whose heart they've taken or my heart knew which high ridge track they follow. Do you see them safe or perishing? The lords of love are in love ensnared, bewildered. This uh, very... Um, Uh, apparently simple poem. Um, For those uh, unfamiliar with Arabic poetry, um, uh, it's worth noting that uh, the they here would be recognized in um, the Arabic poetic tradition as the poet uh, thinking about uh, the beloved and the other women that traveled with her in their journey away from the poet. And um, what, what the poems in the Tarjaban do in a particularly radical way is continually shift between the Beloved as singular and the Beloved as, the beloved as plural. Um, the, the way that works is since the Beloved is surrounded by her entourage, her retinue, um, the poet can refer to the retinue as plural, as is here but it also serves as a metonymy for the beloved. Um, and um, he 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 states in his prefatory work that he recited this poem. This poem came to his mind. He doesn't claim authorship. It just uh, came into his mind once when he was circumambulating the Kaaba. So he withdrew uh, away from the central area so he wouldn't... Uh, bother the pilgrims there, and he recited these verses. And then he states that uh, he felt a hand as soft as silk um, uh, on his back, and he turned around, and there was a young woman there, a um, jaria, technically a slave or a freed slave, um, who proceeded uh, to critique each of the four verses. In quite a uh, a rigorous fashion, really tearing them apart, and at the end, she explained that how could he, how could the any poet say, refer to being bewilderment in love, when true love causes the annihilation of the self, and therefore there's no self left to be bewildered, and this is. Um, uh, this Jaria who appeared there um, was later, uh, was often associated with Nizam, uh, the young woman uh, uh, that he met in Mecca. Um, although Nizam is said to have been of pure Persian uh, origin from Isfahan, um, and um, the, uh, the jarya was said to be from uh, among the rooms. A term that could be used for Anatolians like Rumi, um, but um, in Ibn Arabi, pro- probably more uh, likely meant from a Christian background. Uh, one thing uh, to mention about the intertextuality of, of the uh, poems and of the prefatory material that Ibn Arabi added to them, what I call the romance of the tarjuman uh, the material about Tarjaman and this Jaria, who doesn't give her name, but says she, sh- she can be called um, the cooling or the solace of the eye, um, uh, that it reflects a motif um, that Ibn Arabi explored in another one of his works, which has been almost uh, uh, ignored um, in modern scholarship a work called Muhadarat el-Abrar, The Sessions of the Righteous, uh, which is a bellatristic work in which he um, uh, presents several stories of jariyas humble women at the Ka'aba who um, encounter great Sufis like Junaid or others and um, uh, ultimately, um, uh, there's a kind of intellectual and spiritual joust between the two figures um, in which ultimately the humble Jaria teaches um, uh, the famous sheikh um, something vital about love and about um, uh, sincerity. Um, So these motifs he was exploring in this bellatristic work, and here we can see... um, this motif um, within his own visionary experience. And it shows, I think the relationship between um, being immersed in, in uh, a whole literary tradition of a certain spiritual encounter at the Kaaba and his own encounters at the Kaaba as he relates them in his preface.
1: That's so fascinating. Um, and yeah, there's so much here that you would really have to um, sit and process as you say, right? It's deceptive in terms of what it's getting out. Um, Can you say a little bit, uh, before we go to another poem, a little bit about um, the feminine? Uh, I found throughout all the poems, um, and there's 61 in total, that um, the feminine is evoked quite often, either in a specific person, as you're speaking about in this particular poem, or in the figure of the Nizam, kind of broadly, there are times when a masculine tendency is evoked, especially in terms of longing or love, but the beloved tends to be, at least my understanding of it was that it was feminine.
0: Yes, it's, um, it's mostly feminine. Um, uh, coming out of the classical Arabic tradition, the pre-Islamic tradition, um, the poet was voiced as male and um, the beloved is female. Um, uh, within the Andalusian tradition and, and the uh, tradition in Baghdad of the, of the medieval period, you, ha- you have many more um, uh, instances of the male beloved um, appearing. But in these poems, yes, it is um, primarily the um, female beloved. And I'd like to explore um, the female beloved in a particular poem that I think really brings out uh, the power of it. Now, these poems can be read um, in, in a non-Sufi way and they can be read in a Sufi way. Of course, if they're read in a Sufi way, the uh, the feminine figure would be uh, the divine or uh, the divine manifestation. Um, and um, let's take a look at, at poem 24. Now, here's a poem that centers around one of the stations of the beloved, uh, a station uh, known as Lala. And um, uh, in this poem, uh, 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 the poem uh, is mourning the beloved at the station of Lala. And then after three verses, there's a transformation where the poet is actually engaged in a dialogue with um, uh, a feminine figure. Um, And that feminine figure could could be the beloved, could be the station itself, or it could be um, the Moringa tree. Um, uh, The Moringa tree, um, al-ban in Arabic, is a central um, theme and symbol in Ibn Arabi. Um, it's poetry. it's um, uh, a beautiful tree with delicate leaves and pinkish flowers, um, but a very st- strong uh, uh, trunk that can uh, stand out radically in the desert, often growing out of uh, rock outcroppings, um, and it's um, a symbol In Ibn Larbi for union with the beloved, um, for beauty, um, um, and for the the times in the past when uh, the poet and the beloved were together. So I'll read this poem in English. Stay at the ruins in La Lai fading and in that wilderness grieve for those we loved. And at that campsite call out her name, your heart softly torn away. Oh, for the times passed near her moringa, picking her fruit, her garden's red rose. All who sought you, you showered with graces. Only for me did your lightning flash faceless. We used... She said, to come there together in my branches shadows, in that lush land. My lightning once of smile's flash is now a blaze of barren stone. Blame time, relentless time. What fault was it of Lalai? I forgave her as I heard her speak, grieving as I grieved the wounded heart. I asked her when I saw her meadows, pastures now of the scouring winds. Did they tell you where they'd rest at noon? Yes, she said, at Sand Hill, where white tents glow from the light of all those suns ablaze within. So this is a poem that is in is a uh, uh, in the more uh, uh, one of the more grieving poems, a poem in which the the um, the emotion reaches a peak when uh, the poet, um, as often, seems to be blaming the beloved or the station of la um, uh, the sign of the beloved, um, uh, 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 for the for the loss and for the separation and where the feminine voice speaks back to the poet and um, they can engage in this dialogue where um, uh, they each share their grief.
1: This is probably one of my favorite. I mean, there's so many poems in here that I loved, but I, I remember this when I from my, when I first read it, just because it felt like it brought together so many of the, the imagery um, found across the poems. Um, and again, I think the evoking of the, the tree, the moringa also was, um, stood out to me as well when I, when I read it. This one's a beautiful one. Uh,
0: another um, uh, set of issues that um, w- we would want to explore, which is really at the core of these poems, are the uh, issues uh, concerning the Hajj. The way that um, erotic love poetry became associated with the Hajj in these poems um, and the traditions uh, that that association draws upon. So for an example of that, I'd like us to go um, to poem seven. And um, for those who might be following along, if you have the book, that'd be on page 24 and 25. Gowns of Dark. This this poem will um, will... Uh, bring up the central stations within the Hajj, Mina, um, uh, the height of Ram, uh, which is uh, said to have been near uh, Mecca in some uh, of Ibn Arabi's interpretations, Jem, uh, which is a, a word also for Mustelifa where um, uh, the mass of pilgrims come together at one place. And um, uh, the Arafa Plain, uh, where, of course, pilgrims stand um, throughout the afternoon. I touched the stone through a whirl of young women circling the Kaaba, faces veiled. They lowered their veils, revealing the sun. Death stalks the gaze, they warned. Many's the proud soul we've taken, questing at the threshold of Minna's cairns. In the wadi courts, near the heights of Ram and Jem, through the throngs on Arapa Plain. See how beauty plunders the chaste, spoiler of virtue, so aptly named. We'll meet at Zumzum after the circling, by the middle tent, near the boulder. There a man starved by love's fever is cured by the scent of those who lured him. Aroused, they loosen their hair and let it fall, enfolding themselves in dark. Um, So before I um, uh, mention anything about this poem, I just wondered if you wanted to uh have any comments on how it struck you
1: um the so much of the the poetry and even in this one i remember the the last um the last bit of the hair and and the curls of the hair there's just such an intimacy in them i remember when reading it and it shows kind of um you know the way in which you would think of a the beloved or um, beloved's hair and then the longing of it and so any, I know I'm kind of rambling, but it's its the intimacy that I'm often struck by when I'm reading the poems, right? And, and especially as you're seeing this, this sense of longing. And for this to be happening at the Kaaba, like I wonder if we could talk about that. Like what is the significance of that, right? Um, but.
0: Yes, abs- absolutely. Um, so um, that, this intim- the notion of uh, intimacy um, associated with dark and especially with the dark of the beloved's hair, appears in many of these poems, and it's often contrasted with the glare and heat of the sun. And um, and There, um, uh, the glare and heat of the sun, we saw um, something uh, reminiscent of that, where these uh, beloved figures actually turn more into siren figures or fearsome figures early in the poem, where they say, death is in the gaze, they warned. So um, gazing at uh, directly at the beloved, gazing at, uh, is uh, in in these poems like gazing directly into the sun. It's too much to be taken in. And um, so you have a dialectic between dark and light throughout the poem, where, where dark or black is associated with, intimacy depth um, solace comfort um, and um, and the glare of light is associated with overwhelmingly powerful experience and the two go together of course one uh, uh, one doesn't achieve the intimacy without um, the powerful experience in these poems um, now this poem of course if one read it um, it is quite provocative uh, these these figures are uh, um, these quarry like figures uh, figures reminiscent of uh, the dark-eyed maidens in the in the quran um, and and uh, and the poet are, are seemingly making a rendezvous um, at the Kaaba and the um, uh, uh, so let's um, uh, go back into some of the traditions that this kind of poetry grows out of, although I think in, uh, Ibn Arbi intensifies these traditions in a very particular way. Um, in his work, Maha al to that I mentioned, uh, station, um, uh, Sessions of the Righteous, um, uh, when he talks about um, these uh young women at the kaaba encountering uh, sufi sages um, in many ways the encounter uh, uh, begins with the um uh, the sufi sage or the uh, another uh, sheikh figure um, hearing uh, a woman reciting love poetry at the kaaba and um, either re- remonstrating remonstrating with her beloved, that she's separate, or um, expressing hope that the beloved will always be with her. And in some cases, the um, the uh, sage will say, how could you be saying something like this and in a place like this? And then the woman will respond often with verses of poetry, sometimes with verses of poetry, And they'll go back and forth. And and, um, um, in many of these uh, stories, some of which are taken from traditions that were passed on by um, uh, a uh, humble Sufi in Baghdad jurist by the name of Ibn al-Jawzi, in one of his works, Um, in in many cases, the uh, sage will pass out in realizing the truth that... uh, the um, uh, the Jaria taught. In, also within Muhadar labrar um and also within the works of Ibn al-Jawzi, uh, there are references to um, to many many poems by two earlier poets, Sharif al-Radi and Mihyar al These were uh, Shiite. Uh, Uh, major Shiite figures in Baghdad um, and each of them first Sharif Aradi and then later Mihyar, led the official pilgrimage to the Hajj um, annually from Baghdad and many of their nasibs included um, uh, uh, references to the stations along the Hajj and, and Uh, to the stations within the Hajj. And so uh, this tradition of linking uh, erotic poetry with the Hajj had been developed over the past two centuries. And um, in one of Ibn al-Jawzi's works that Ibn Arbi cites, um, uh, 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 Ibn al-Jawzi explicitly sets out to link um, erotic longing with the Hajj. Um, the work is called Muthir el Il Inciting Passion for the Holiest Places. Um, and um, so uh, the notion that the Hajj is a place of of the, the deepest longing and passion is there. And in many cases, um, in Ibn al Arabi's poetry, uh, this is brought um, uh, this is brought into um, a very uh, uh, heightened uh, manner of portrayal. Um, and, the, and the poet is often at the hudge, um, as close as any human being can get to the beloved, and yet still separated. Um, so the, those who cling to the wall of the Kaaba are getting as close as they can uh, to God. Um, but, of course, um, the Kaaba does not contain God in, in any of the uh, idol, idolatrous senses of the word. So it, um, it is a moment of deep poignancy that Ibn Al-Arbi tries to bring out.
1: And then it so seems that the entire kind of the scope of the poems are really then reflective of the the journey of the Sufi. If we take a Sufi reading of it from the stations to kind of the traveling, um, to getting to the Kaaba and the longing. So it, it just kind of it, um, presents the whole process of what the Sufi ultimately would. Go through on the spiritual journey, which brings us back to kind of what the first poem that you read us was saying: that how could you still be bewildered if there is an eye that is bewildering? Uh,
0: yes, and and one will notice throughout these poems that many of the poems have death within the middle of them. So here we have death is in the gaze they won, um, and this this death in many of them, in some of them is not all of them, but in some of them, is framed in uh, at the language of Fana, or the, the death of the ego-self in union with the divine beloved. Um, so um, it is this, um, uh, and that becomes the transformative moment in the poems, uh, the key moment around which the uh, the poems turn. Another thing that struck me here is this poem and others that, in many cases, explicitly um, evoke uh, the Huris of the Quran. Um, uh, of course, the Huris of the Quran um, uh, are in paradise. So um, they're, um, g- getting close to the Kaaba um, is symbolically not only getting close to God, but it's also symbolically getting close to the garden of the afterlife. So as if the the huris here, who could be seen as temptresses in some readings, are actually beckoning from the other side of of reality, beckoning from the Jannah. And um, so it brings together, um, as as the poems throughout the Tarja Mandu brings together erotic longing with all the aspects of uh, core Islamic uh, practice and ritual.
1: This is, there's just so much here and so much we could talk about. Um, and you've kind of really given us, you know, in, in your guidance through the three poems, like a mini masterclass of how to approach these poems. Do you have any advice for perhaps, you know, be it lay readers who are picking up um, this book of uh, Ibn al-Arabi's poems first time, and how they should approach it. And perhaps um, a lot of our listeners are also educators who teach at university. So maybe they're teaching courses on Sufism. Do you have any advice for those folks who may wanna incorporate some of this in, into their courses of how, how to do that and how to teach it? Like you've done for us, you've modeled it for us now.
0: Um, uh, I think um, th- this course uh, would work in in Classes uh, devoted to Arabic poetry, Arabic civilization, or Sufism. As I mentioned, um, it's a uh, the relation with Sufism is subtle in these poems, and uh, I do not read the poems uh, directly through the mystical commentary uh, because that mystical had I translated the mystical commentary, the book would have been three times as large, and the mystical commentary in many ways is not easily translatable, if at all, because Ibn Arabi is constantly playing with uh, etymological roots. Uh, In English, you can't get those unless you put the Arabic words in parenthesis and explain um, uh, the verbal play that's going on there. But those, uh, what what is emerging in the mystical commentary, um, uh, but is not fully developed yet, um, is what is found in, in Ibn Arabi's um, uh, later masterworks, the Futuhat al-Makiya, the Meccan openings, as well as his um, uh, uh, Fusus al-Hikam, uh, the, the Stones of Wisdom. In fact, the last chapter of the Ringstones of Wisdom is a chapter about love. It's the chapter on Muhammad, uh, and it uh, begins with how three um, things were dear to uh, dear to Muhammad: um, uh, women, prayer, and perfume. And it takes that um, and ultimately Deb develops um, the, the, uh, this notion of a cosmic. Um, uh, love, love is a cosmic force and longing, longing for the creation to be known, for the creator to be known and longing for the creature uh, to know the creator and to uh, long for the creature to exist. Um, that is clearly uh, one of the culminations of Ibn Arba's thinking on love. So if I were um, uh, to uh, teach this uh, work, this book, in connection to Sufism, I would definitely want to uh, read uh, sections of the Muhammad chapter of fusus uh, al-Hikam, uh, the Ring Settings of Wisdom, and as well as the two chapters in the Futuhat al-Makiyah, on Ma'arifa and, lo- and on love. Um, those are uh, chapters, I think it's 366 and 367. Um, I mention it in the, uh, in the notes to the poems. Um, and uh, very recently, um, uh, a full translation of the Futuhat has come out, and that can be a useful aid um, to reading those. Uh, and I think Ibn Arabi's chapter in the uh, uh, Futuhat al-Makiyah on love is uh, extraordinarily powerful. And a, some of the verses in the Tarjamanal Ashwak are in that chapter. So to put the, uh, that, that chapter with some of these poems, I think would really show the, the way uh, uh, the love poetry connects to uh, Ibn Arabi's uh, mystical thought more widely. One thing I also notice a uh, mention about uh, Arabic poetry, is one might say that there is a mystical or proto-mystical element in the most intense love poetry, just as intense love poetry. Because um, when the poet goes mad with love, um, um, as in, as is the case in many of these poems, and starts raving, um, and where uh, opposites come together, um, the poet is, uh, is here, the, the beloved is here, but gone. The poet is schizophrenic, part of him is here, but part of him, he says, is with the beloved, howling on her trail as she moves away from the poet, um, even guiding her from place to place. Um, these uh, uh, contradictions, um, uh, the poet is, uh, uh, is uh, burned in his sighs, lost in the glow within her eyes. Um, these, um, the, the way that um, agony and ecstasy come together, uh, nearness and farness, they can be seen as, as um, uh, transcending the bounds of normal human logic in a way that Sufism uh, does. And of course, um, Sufis were aware of this, and it's one of the reasons they often incorporated classical Arab poems Not necessarily considered Sufi poems into their writings.
1: That's very helpful. And I think I'm sure our listeners very much would want to try that out in the classes that they're teaching as well. Um, Before we conclude, I've taken up so much of your time and you've been very generous with it. Is there anything else that you'd want our listeners um, in terms to keep in mind or take away uh, as we step back and look at the broader project?
0: Yes, I'd like to read just four verses, uh, five verses of another poem and briefly comment on them. This is the most famous poem in the Tarjaman al um poem number 11, and it's on, uh, it begins on pages 36 and 37. I'll read some Arabic and then some English. walbani <speaking in Spanish> tarafakna. لا تدفن بشجوي اشجاني ترفقنا لا تزهرنا بنأخي والبكا خفيه سباباتي ومكنون احزاني وتاريخها عند الاسئله وبدها بخنتي مشتاق وانتي هيماني تناوحت الارواح في غايده الغدا Wamaalat b'afnanin alayya b'afnani w'ja'at min ash-shawk al-mubarahi wal-jawa wa min al-balwa Gentle now doves Gentle now doves of the Sprigberry and Moringa Don't add sighs to my heartache Gentle now lest your sad cooing show the love I hide the sorrow I seal, in the evening I echo, back in the morning echo, the longing of the lovesick and lost. Spirits moan in the rata trees, bending branches over me as I pass away, bringing yearning, heartbreak, and ever new twists of pain to try me. So this is the poem that ends with the famous verses um, I, um, I profess the religion of love. It's camel's turn. Um, uh, there lives my faith. And yet, uh, those verses are often taken out of context from the poem and from Tarjaman more widely. And, um, They deserve deserve to be among the most widely quoted verses in Arabic poetry, but the poem itself is what um, allows them their richness and their depth. So here we see um, the theme of the poet and the doves mourning together here near the uh, Moringa and and the Arak, uh, which I uh, translate here as Springberry. and um, the poet, um, being broken out of his attempt to hide his love, and then um, in verse 4, we have this transformative experience. Spirits moan in the Radha trees, bending branches over me as I pass away. Um, it, Here is a clear reference to fana and it's after this reference to fana that the The poem transforms itself and transforms the entire notion of the Kaaba in the Tarjuman when later on in the poem, uh, Ibn Arbi says, Hour by hour they circle my heart in rapture and touch my corners with a kiss. So here, the poet, instead of circumambulating the Kaaba or instead of following after the beloved. Here, the poet's heart becomes the still center of movement. And these beloved figures are circumambulating the Kaaba of the human heart. And it's only after these experiences that Ibn Arbi declares his uh, religion of love. And that uh, shows how the religion of love is not just a sentimental notion of religion as being one of love. But it's thickly grounded within um, the uh, ritual practice of Islam, uh, the various mystical theologies within Islam, the, uh, the hadith traditions within, within Islam that form many of the uh, motifs within these poems.
1: Yeah, I think that's um, so helpful to to know and the content that you provided for us as well.
0: Um, Thank you so very much for... Um, your um, thoughtful reading of these poems and for inviting me on this program. It's been a great pleasure.
1: Oh, the pleasure has been completely mine. It's, it's been a very special treat um, and I could listen to you forever and I'm sure our listeners feel the same way. Dr. Michael Sells, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And that was my conversation with Dr. Michael Sells about his translation of Muhayyiddin Ibn al-Arabi's poems, The Translator of Desires. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, stay well and safe.